Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Also, guess what? We're now on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. So you got a lot of places. If you're listening to your music, you can always switch over and listen to the podcast. I encourage you to subscribe, leave comments, follow. All that is great. And thank you for your support. Um, I can see that you guys are downloading. And even when I was away for a minute, you guys were still downloading. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, today, wow, I felt like I had to go audit some classes to have this guest on because he has like <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, I mean, he had like more than three degrees, and I was a little nervous and everything, so I was like, ooh, I better like, you know, let me go to MIT, let me just study up here, talk to my brother because he's a little techie, and then let me go over here and maybe learn some Evo or something. I don't know. I just was like, whoa. But anyway, <laughs> This guy, he has several novels out uh, for young adults, uh, Beast Made of Night, which won um, many awards, and also Crown of Thunder, which was the sequel, War Girls, and also he has a sequel coming out to War Girls uh, in November, but today we're talking about Riot Baby, and this is what he would consider his adult fiction debut, so maybe he was nervous, I don't know, but anyway, this is Toche Onibuchi, <laughs> good morning, Toche. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. This is this is this is going to be fun. <laughs> it is definitely <laughs> going to be fun. Did you bring your Werther's candy with you? <laughs> you know, it it is a Saturday morning. It wouldn't be a Saturday morning without my Werther's candy. What? When you Okay, let me just let me just a little bit little slow back for the audience. There's a point in this book, Riot Baby, where they're talked about, and it made me totally remember, like, going to my grandparents' house and the candy dish, or, like, even mm-hmm. my great aunt or somebody, and it was, like, black people, I don't know, they, they had the candy dish, and they had the yep. Werther's in it, okay? Yep. Like, what? Yep. I said, every, oh, my God. Every, oh single, my God. every single black ha- household growing up had a dish of Werther's chewy candies. 
Absolutely. Isn't With it the wrinkle gold wrappers, all of that. The wrinkle gold wrappers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when I when I read that, oh, I'm going like this. Okay, I'm going like this. This is going to be good. Um, and then also plastic on the furniture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had you don't want to get it dirty. <laughs> What'd you say? You don't want to get it dirty. Can you believe that? I mean, I thought about, let me tell you this. I, let me tell you this. I, I'm an adult, you know, I'm 50. So, I mean, sometimes people think they're not adults, but I consider myself an adult. And I bought adult furniture, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. um, I remember I bought this furniture set. And it's like this really cool um, kind of deep turquoisey velvety thing. And um, it was brand new. And then, like, people came over, and I was like, oh, now I see why they had the plastic. Damn, damn, damn. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, now you understand. Now we understand. Now we understand because I was like, wait, no, put put it there. No, maybe you should don't, don't do that. I was so nervous about my new furniture, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they knew something back then. We didn't know anything. They knew something back then with that plastic we, furniture. We had to learn. We we had to learn the hard way. Oh, my God, right? Well, um, thank you for coming on. You have uh, many wonderful books. Um, I, I read Riot Baby. I'm kind of almost through War Girls. Uh, that's a little, you know, longer. But the Riot Baby, I want to talk about. Um, you know, mainly I do adult book authors on the show, and I said, "Whoa, he did what? Okay, yeah, I got to have this guy." You deal with some heavy topics, and you deal with some heavy feelings. Mm. Were you worried about any backlash in the feelings that were expressed in the book? The anger that was expressed in the book. You know what's what's funny is I, I probably should have been, <laughs> but I wasn't, and I think that's in large part because I wrote Riot Baby for myself. Um, I didn't write it for any particular audience. Um, I didn't necessarily have other people in mind, and I say that because it first started to come about, I'd say, the fall of 2015, um, going into early 2016, and at the time, there was this spate of videographic evidence of officer-involved killings of black Americans. And we were seeing this over and over and over again. Um, You know, it was like Amadou Diallo and Rodney King put together on steroids, like over and over and over again. You know, by by the time I'd started the initial incarnations of Riot Baby, I'd watched... um, I'd watched Tamir Rice get murdered on camera. I'd seen uh, Laquan McDonald uh, get gunned down on camera. Um, Walter Scott, I'd watched him die on camera. Eric Garner, I'd watched him die on camera. And in mm. so many of these instances, uh, the, the perpetrators, the, the officers involved, suffered no meaningful consequences. Uh, in many instances, they weren't even fired. Um, they were just put on paid administrative leave. Basically, they got paid vacation. Uh, and watching this happen over and over and over again instilled this incredible sense of, of hopelessness and anger, right, because it seemed as though nothing was changing. Like every, all the ingredients were there for these officers to be held accountable for what was happening, and yet that wasn't happening. And so I, was so, I remember being so angry and so, so, feeling so persecuted, and I knew I had to do something with these feelings, and being a writer, writing is how I process the world around me. It's how I, I, I deal with things. 
And so I wrote, I started writing this story and it was really like (laughs) in many ways therapy more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the thing that I've discovered is that in writing for myself the way that I was doing, in, in engaging in this act of catharsis, I was actually speaking to quite a few people who felt the way that I did. Um, and that, I think, is part of the magic of literature in that respect. Do you think books incite revolutions? Do you think your book will incite some type of revolution? Yeah, I think, think they, they can. can. Yeah. I think the... The, the, role, the role that books can play in that sort of thing is, is they can expand the imagination, you know, particularly with regards to speculative fiction, science fiction, fantasy. We're busy imagining other futures. We're busy imagining other presents. And the idea of expanding the possibilities of the types of societies we can build, I think, is pivotal to, you know, being able to bring, you know, conversations about things like police abolition, prison abolition, you know, into the mainstream, I think being able to expand our imagination with regards to the entertainment we consume is an essential ingredient in that regard. And granted, it's only one tiny piece of the puzzle, right? It's no substitute for, you know, elected office. It's no substitute for on-the-ground activism. It's no substitute for mutual aid societies or bail funds or things of that sort. It's all part of the same thing. Um, And I do think that books, I think that literature plays a part in that. Now, you... um did a lot of work uh, with your law work. You went to Palestine. Uh, you worked with Palestinian Arab detainees, um, Columbia Law School Mass Incarceration Clinic. Um, when you were in um, the, the clinics and went to the different prisons, how did books affect the prisoners? And what was their favorite book? Did you find there was like a favorite book like everywhere you went that was like this, oh, my God, everybody's reading this? <laughs> um, I didn't find that there was necessarily a favorite book per se, in part because All the different facilities, the different jails and prisons, they all had different regulations with regards to what the prisoners could even read. So that's part of it, too, is there's this massive act of censorship that happens with regards to carceral facilities where where even even the books that manage to get in, um, you know, they can't necessarily you know, get through. So, you know, there's the the Books Behind Bars program that I believe the Center for Appellate Litigation in New York uh, runs. And through them, I've been able to send books to a number of facilities, but really I've only been able to send uh, Beast Made of Night and Crown of Thunder, my my first two young adult novels, and uh, War Girls, but I haven't been able to send Riot Baby for obvious obvious reasons. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. So... You know, there's that sort of thing that happens. But I think what I found most surprising, and this speaks to my own sort of prejudices and biases going into the work, was the very idea that inside prisons, inside jails, you would have things like book clubs, which which prisoners do. Like, they organize their own book clubs. There's a book club mm. sort of uh, scene that gets referenced in Riot Baby. That's, I mean, like, that's taken from a real-life event that's taken from a real life story where you know, the, the prisoners, they had to sit sort of far apart, far apart and they only had the one copy of the book to like talk about or discuss in their session. And so they had to like throw it to each other whenever they wanted to reference a particular sentence or scene <laughs> or what have you. Yeah. And just the fact that stuff like that happens behind bars is, I mean, it's so powerful in speaking to the fact that these are human beings. 
in these places. They don't stop being human beings upon their arrest and upon their detention. And that was a, a, a major point that I wanted to make, particularly with the Rikers Island section of Riot Baby. Now, people get out of prison, but they're still in prison. And you deal with that mm-hmm. in your book um, in such an eloquent way because people are very ignorant. Um, I guess I'm more familiar because, like, my dad, he works uh, in a youth study center. And I remember when I was a kid, he, he took me in there. And I was like, oh, I don't want to come in here. No, 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 sorry. <laughs> it was like dark lights. It just was like a not a happy place. You know, there was mm-hmm. no space for growth or development. Like, I mean, you're just throwing these people in here. You're not really trying to help them get better um, or move past something that might have been stopping them, and that's why they were doing a crime or something. Um, and then now the older person, um, I keep saying that, oh, God. Anyway, <laughs> um, a <licensed laughs> social worker, you know, and I'm dealing with young kids, and, you know, so I'm seeing it from another perspective. But in your book, you show people get out, but they're not really out. And I was really excited for him. You know, the main character, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, he's got parole, you know, okay, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to tell too much about it, but just he got parole, and he was still locked up, so to speak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, we have I mean, that in society. People don't realize that. People can't vote. They can't get housing. They mm-hmm. can't get public assistance. This is real life. Mm-hmm. This, is not, this is not some futuristic thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, people are, people are shocked when I tell them how much of Riot Baby is essentially nonfiction, you know, as opposed to science fiction. I mean, that's very much, very much the case. And, and it's something that the, that I learned how, I learned how extensive it was during my work with the Legal Aid Society in New York. I was with their parole revocation defense unit. And so essentially we would do criminal defense, but for parolees and try to sort of get them from, you know, if they if they clocked a parole violation, keep them from being detained or get them, you know, R and R'd or what have you. And you look at the conditions that these these prisoners would be, you know, sort of subjected to as you know, part of the terms of their parole. You know, no consorting with uh, known felons, and so oftentimes that can mean not even getting a ride from the homie down to the bodega, right? That's a, that would be a violation of that condition. You have to report every change of address. You have to, you know, meet regularly with your parole officer. And a lot of that is up to the parole officer, whether they even want to organize the meeting. If you're, you could get the type of parole officer who always is, is on you about being even a few minutes late. You could get a really flaky parole officer. You can get a parole officer who woke up, you know, on the wrong side of the bed you know, a particular morning and decided to clock you for a violation for being a couple minutes late. Um, There are all sorts of conditions uh, that you are subject to such that you can't even, like if a regular person who'd never had a a criminal conviction and who wasn't on parole were subjected to these conditions, they wouldn't be able to live their lives. They would not be able to live their lives at all. And it seemed as though for me, what I realized was that the only thing that that prison and jail prepare people for is for going back to prison and jail. Like it's a whole, it's a whole sort of system. It's a whole ecosystem. And that was something that I wanted to show is that, okay, you might not be inside the actual facility, but you're still, you're still essentially in prison. You know, you're being monitored Mm -hmm. all the time. You know, the, the type of work that you're able to do is severely constrained. I mean, you look at the case of, of California, for instance, where you have prisoners who are part of firefighting teams, 
who get sent out to fight fires all over the state of California and get paid a pittance for it. They barely get paid at all. Um, But upon their release, if they were to apply for a firefighter's license to become an actual firefighter, Mm. they could not do that because of their felony conviction. And that to me is so telling with regards to how, you know, the, our, our prison population is treated, how they are viewed as this sort of disposable labor. You know, there was a story very early on in the coronavirus pandemic about uh, prisoners on Rikers Island being hired to dig graves for victims of COVID. Um, mm-hmm. And this was before, you know, the, the mask mandates and everything. There were prisoners in Rikers who were making hand sanitizer who wouldn't be able to actually use that hand sanitizer because the alcohol content would make it contraband in the prison. Um, mm. And, like, there's so many different, different aspects and different ways in which that dynamic gets replicated and the lives of these people are so constrained. And, you know, you think, oh, this person made parole or they're, they're on probation or what have you, they're free. They're not really free. Why don't you read some of the, the book? You, you said um, we talked about having a little section read. You want to read some of that? Mm-hmm. Certainly, okay. certainly. So we have a, a, a brief section from the, you know, from very early on from the South Central chapter uh, of Riot Baby. Uh, and this is a scene where Ella, um, the, our, our sort of main character, is a young girl in church, in Sunday school, actually, um, Good morning, Junior Church. As tall as Brother Harvey is, his suit always seems too big for him. Too many buttons. But it never falls off, no matter how much Ella and Kiana and Johnny giggle at him. None of the helpers down here in the church basement wear the white gloves the ushers upstairs in the grown-up service wear, so Ella can sometimes see the tattoos on their hands. Brother Harvey moves back and forth in the little row of colored light thrown there by the stained glass windows with orchids etched into them. How many of you pray? He asks in his too big voice. He sounds like God. Ella raises her hand. How many of you pray every day? She puts her hand down. John A. keeps hers up, but Ella knows she's lying. You don't pray every day, she hisses. John A. cuts her eyes at her for a second, but keeps her hand up. How many of you do things that are wrong? Ella remembers that time she lied about putting her clothes in the wash and instead stuffed them into the closet she was supposed to hide in whenever bangers congregated in the alley behind the house. And she puts her hand up. God says, Brother Harvey Booms, if you do things wrong and come to me, I'll forgive you. He walks over to Kaylin. The little boy three down from Ella with suspenders and a clip-on tie. Brother Harvey's hand rises like he's going to hit him. If I hit Kalen here, what is he supposed to do? Forgive you, all the kids shout, except Ella. That means Kalen's not supposed to hit me back, right? Ella wonders what she would do if Brother Harvey hit Kalen with that too big hand of his. Now, I'm not saying Kalen shouldn't defend himself. He puts his hand to Kalen's head, cups it. Kalen, you say, Brother Harvey, I will defend myself, and then, at an appropriate time, I will forgive you, and I will do both of these things vigorously. 
The air starts to change the same way it does whenever Ella catches herself daydreaming, imagining, and she sees an older Kalen filled out an old man working in a hospital as an orderly, and all his patients are old, way older than him, and over and over the old patients, when they get slow and know it's not going to be too long now, ask him to sit with them. No bang, no blue bandana, no pool of blood on the sidewalk. Reflexively, she grips the tissues in the pocket of her frilly dress. She's up in the front, and a nosebleed now would embarrass her in front of everybody. But it never comes, and she lets go of the tissues, and pretty soon they're singing. Brother Harvey says a prayer for all of them, anointing them. Then he sends them back out to their parents or grandparents or people who act like their parents because they need to. Ella's so tiny that when the ladies crowd around her, their big hats come together like pink flower tops to hide her from the sun. And scene. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So telling of, I guess, how African-Americans, people of color around the globe are supposed to feel about their situation. Um, Mm. And when we don't, I think that's what the book brings up. You know, you have this character, you have different viewpoints. This one character, she's not feeling that. (laughs) She's, she's, Mm -hmm. I don't know if she's going to forgive, you know, and people are surprised. Mm -hmm. White people are surprised. Um, One of the nice things you do is the intergenerational, um, I don't want to give too much away, but basically (laughs) you show how different generations of a family have affected, have been affected, I should say, by racism. Um, And one of those areas is healthcare. And as a mom, Mm. I was really, I was like almost near tears. I'll just Mm. say that. You know, I've had a baby. Mm. I've been on the table. My legs spread. I'm, you know, at the whim of other people. But now one thing that helped, I don't know if it did or didn't, because I wasn't thinking about it at the time. I had a black OBGYN. I had a black woman OBGYN. And I don't know if that made a difference because I wasn't even thinking about that. I was just thinking, (laughs) get the baby out. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. But there are many studies about African-Americans telling about pain. I mean, I've done, you know, research for people, sickle cell anemia, particularly the drug seeking. And we can look at this situation with crack versus the opioid addiction. I mean, what is Mm -hmm. your opinion about that? Don't you feel it's been treated differently? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you look at the way that that people who suffered from crack addiction were talked about in the 80s. Um, and then you look at the, the, the compassionate stories that are being written about people who suffer from opioid addiction, you know, over the past couple of years, over the past five years or so, you know, it's 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 night and day. The contrast is very clearly black and white, um, you know, particularly with the issue of of you know, healthcare and the maternal mortality rate, you know, both, both Beyonce and Serena Williams suffered complications during their pregnancies. These are like two of the most powerful, not just black women, but most powerful celebrities on the planet. And even mm-hmm. they, you know, weren't guaranteed, you know, diamond quality healthcare, you know? Um, and a lot of that was because they were black women. And, you know, as you pointed out, there have been studies done that talk about the different types of care 
the different levels of care that black women get compared to their, their, you know, non-black counterparts. Um, You know, doctors will say that they, they don't register, you know, pain the same way that their other patients will, or they'll completely disregard other sort of underlying health conditions or all these different ways in which the care is sort of subpar no matter where you are on the social strata, as long as you're black, you, it's almost you're guaranteed this lesser quality of care. And as you pointed out, it's one of the most vulnerable moments in the life of a black woman, you know, when you're giving, when you're giving birth, you're completely at the whim of other people. And to, to, you know, to be treated in a way that to be, to not be treated as though you are the most precious thing in this moment it's terrifying. Like, I can't imagine how terrifying and how traumatizing it would be for someone in that position to go through that. And so it was important for, to me to show that, you know, because it wasn't just, Riot Baby's not just about how structural racism manifests itself in, uh, you know, the police presence uh, in black communities or in mass incarceration. It's just how pervasive it is in general and looking at how it manifests itself in the medical community and with regards to the medical treatment of black Americans, it was very important for me to show that. I think um, I was watching uh, the news, uh, Eddie Gloud was on and he was talking about the failure of America, white Americans to deal with what has happened to acknowledge it somehow. Mm-hmm. 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 That, that I, I remember, like, I, I saw in that you saw that clip, right? It's mm-hmm. like, I'm in the middle of the throat. They can't get it out. It's like, I'm not that. What? what? The important mm-hmm. thing about your book is to show how it's affected in different areas of a person's life and also different levels of a person, meaning from, you know, their baby all the way up to their adult. And um, mm-hmm. there's this somehow, like, they can't say it. Like it's going to be mm. like vile in their throat, but what about what about how it feels in our throats? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. Do you think white absolutely. people can read your book? Do you think white people can read your book? Are they going to be? I mean, how do you think? How do you think they will be affected by this if they read your book? It's interesting because a lot of the early reviews for Riot Baby called the ending very hopeful. Um, <laughs> if you've read the ending or when you read the ending, um, you know, you'll, you, you might understand my sort of perplexed reaction to, to that. Cause a lot of these reviewers were white. So they got to the ending, they read the ending and they called it a very hopeful book. And it reminded me of, of the reaction to Alison Williams's character in get out. A lot of people mm-hmm did not see themselves in Allison Williams's character when they were very clearly Allison Williams's character. Mm. They just didn't make the connection that that was them. And I feel similarly that, you know, there is that dissociation that happens when, when sometimes white people are told about themselves, they don't think it's them. They think it's, Oh, it's somebody else, or it's gotta be some other white person or some other genre of white person. Like, they're not, this isn't talking about me, obviously. Um, and I think that's been a lot, of the, a lot of the reaction. And I feel like there's that, that cognitive dissonance that, that, and we're seeing it with this election, right? Like, it's, it's so interesting to me who is surprised 
at how at just how many white people have voted for for you know President Trump. Because mm-hmm. none of the black people that I've talked to are surprised that this many people voted for him. It's only all the white people who are surprised <laughs> that that this many people voted for him. And you know, you know, it, let me yeah. let me just say real quickly, um, we're running out of a little bit of time, but I also want to say, you know, sometimes black people are unaware of the impact that the intergenerational racism, the systemic racism, have affected their lives. Because you know, you can do everything mm-hmm. right. You can go to the right schools. I mean, you yourself, I remember reading an article about your experience with the police. All these different things you can do correctly, you know, get the best grades, go to the right schools, get a good job, live in a nice home, and you can still be impacted. And and mm-hmm. also the opposite, but not realizing what came before you and how that has impacted the support systems you may or may not have had. You know, mm-hmm. you yourself as Absolutely. an African American may be unaware. It is not just this moment in time; mm-hmm. it's the moments before. You know, mm-hmm. um, absolutely. Let me just let me. We only have about a minute left. What's up with Sister Act Two? I'm, I'm, <laughs> that's the movie. That's my. That's the movie. That's my that favorite movie like? of all time. Okay. I'm sorry. I was thinking like the Matrix or something. Was the, I was like, what? Sister Act Two: Back in the Habit is my favorite movie of all time. All time. <laughs> oh my God! Thank you so much, Tochi, for coming on today. I love the book. I'm going to oh, give away some pleasure. copies. And also, you're coming out with this other new book, the sequel to War Girls, um, coming out in November. Uh, November mm-hmm. 17th, I have. Yes. 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 Okay. Rebel good. Sisters. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I hope you, you know, much success with this upcoming book. I'm definitely going to read that. And uh, I'm totally enthralled with War Girls right now. So please, I hope the oh, next thank book you is so much. awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. So, I'll talk and, to you and, later. Yeah. Yeah. Thank no, go you, ahead. Take care. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Oh, uh, bye. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. What are you going to say? What are we going to say? All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I just got off the phone with author Tochi Onyabuchi. We were talking about his book, Riot Baby. He has another book coming out uh, November 17th called Rebel Sisters. That's a sequel to his book, War Girls. I'm going to be giving away some copies, so follow at Joy Keys on Twitter, uh, Saturday mornings with Joy Keys on Facebook, and Saturdays with Joy Keys on Instagram. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.